we can no longer trust governments to protect us and we can no longer trust corporations to protect us. Whether it is free knowledge or whether it is free software, this is the only line of defense available to us today. Once the governments realize that they can't uh, get us through the software or through the platforms, then what they will start manipulating is the truth on the internet. And uh, Wikipedia is the finest line of defense against uh, the latest round of disinformation, propaganda, fake news, uh, alternative facts, whatever you want to call it. In a time where both corporations and governments are active in such widespread and unsettling ways within this intimate and growing relationship we have with the internet, Sunil Abraham sees only one solution, open source and free knowledge. Okay, maybe that's two solutions from the same root concept, let's say transparency. From the late 90s to today, Sunil has been busy creating and participating in initiatives that help strengthen the free and open movement in India and throughout the world. And on today's program, Sunil joins us in Berlin to talk about what's going on in these communities and how it all relates to what we see happening when it comes to our privacy or data or our information. To put it in Star Wars terms, it's the return of the state pyre. And we're hearing about it from one of the most eloquent and experienced Jedi Masters out there, Sunil Abraham. For Wikimedia Deutschland, I'm Mark von Sikarrenderu, and this is Source Code Berlin. My name is Sunil Abraham. And I work at the Center for Internet and Society. I met with Sunil Abraham just a few weeks ago in Berlin following the Wikimedia conference. As a side note, which is a constant risk in the world of mobile podcasting, we start in a hotel lobby in Neukölln, which at first wasn't too busy and slowly gets pretty lively. Then again, so does Sunil. Uh, the Center for Internet and Society is a research organization and we have uh, seven different areas where we do both policy research and academic research. Uh, these areas are, one, accessibility for the disabled, two, openness, everything from free software all the way down to open data, three, access to knowledge, mostly copyright law and patent law reform, for internet governance, where we study free speech, privacy, cybersecurity, and global internet governance institutions. Uh, five is uh, telecom. Uh, we focus mostly on shared spectrum and shared backhaul infrastructure policy. Uh, the sixth program we call Researchers at Work, where we look at digital humanities, primarily. And the final program, which we have shut down recently, is Digital Natives, where we studied young people who were born after the 
birth of the internet. As a research organization, you can hear how CIS has a broad range of interests that are still pretty new and going to be need to be studied in an effort to understand what is going on. The first major question I pose to Sunil is, what's the big news? What major topic has his attention and is perhaps somewhere behind all the conversations going on right now, regardless of specific area, when it comes to the online space? That the state is back. So the early vision of the internet was that it was a place where individual freedoms would flourish and that the state had no control over what was going there. It was this vision of the wild, wild web. Yes. Uh, and uh, from that uh, school of thought comes uh, John Perry Barlow's uh, Declaration of Independence in Cyberspace. But over the last five years, and especially after the revelations of Edward Snowden, it's absolutely clear that the state is back. And that means that blanket and mass surveillance is the norm across the world. Uh, that means that censorship is increasingly rising under all sorts of pretexts, the latest one being countering violent extremism. And it also means that states are treating the internet as a tool of propaganda. Uh, so uh, far from the internet uh, having democratic potential, now the challenge is to stop the authoritarian or autocratic potential of the internet. Uh, so our agenda has shifted from a positive agenda to a defensive agenda. A defensive agenda in the fight to stop the growing influence of authoritarian entities probably sounds familiar to anyone out there working in the realm of advocacy or education or creativity. On and on that list can go. There's an underlying power struggle which is not based on political parties or personal beliefs, even though it may often be presented that way. We're also often told that giving up your privacy is necessary in order to make things, quote, safer. In this debate, Sunil sees a fundamental flaw, as well as a more effective way of having an impact. There are four different uh, forces at play. The first is uh, the power of governments, and that usually takes the shape of the law. The second is the power of corporations, and what they're able to exert is raw market power. Uh, the third lever is the power of technology itself, and more particularly mathematics. And the fourth uh, force is norms in general societies. So uh, when we are faced with both authoritarian states and rogue corporations, often rogue corporations that are in bed with authoritarian states, then the only hope we have is the power of technology and more specifically free and open source uh, technology. And here it is uh, cryptography and anti-circumvention technology that uh, prevents the state from clamping down on individual freedoms. Because 
even if governments can hire armies of mathematicians still the task of breaking through cryptography used by a large number of people is increasingly difficult the second is uh, we as progressives must increasingly understand the rise of right wing governments across the world and uh, we must also uh, be clear that many of the arguments we are making uh, do have bipartisan appeal uh if we pretend that uh, security is purely a right wing concern then we are ceding ground uh, to uh, those that disagree with us but on the other hand if you think very carefully through what security really is uh, it is quite obvious that security and privacy are two sides of the same coin uh in other words there is no either or between security and privacy it is both or neither either you have privacy and security or you don't have either of them so the best way uh to understand this is to unpack how a surveillance regime must be configured what is the appropriate way for the state to conduct surveillance upon its citizen and the way i like to say it is uh, surveillance is like salt in cooking essential in tiny quantities but counterproductive even if slightly in excess uh the moment the state begins to do mass surveillance then all it is really doing is creating a honey pot and the honey pot of all this retained data becomes the target of attack for foreign states for criminals for terrorists and so on so the only way to do it well is to do it in a targeted fashion and increasingly we find if you use a uh, proper computer science and robust uh, uh, mathematical techniques to convince uh, policy makers who may be ideologically very different from you they will still buy your argument i'll give you one more example so it might be a conservative governments it may be a temptation for a conservative government to introduce especially in the global south to introduce a wide ranging block on pornography but we go to these very same governments and tell them that if you do this all you will be doing is conducting the largest training in tor and other circumvention technology for the nation state because overnight uh, almost everybody will now know how to use tor which they didn't know to date and this will make your legitimate surveillance a lot more complicated so uh, the moment uh, you as somebody defending individual liberties decides to vacate space either on security or any other issue uh, to people that disagree with you then you have already lost the battle but if you can find ways of articulating their concerns in their own language 
and demonstrating why uh, your solution is the appropriate one and you can do it by shedding your ideology, uh, then you become an effective advocate uh, for all these competing interests, individual liberties, the security of the state and so on. Coming up, as the lobby of the hotel gets ever busier, Sunil Abraham on the bigger picture of our relationship with technology. How did we get here as humans? And where do we go from here? That's straight ahead, right here on Source Code Berlin. This is primarily because of the collapse of traditional religious uh, beliefs. So when across the world, as a species, we started to embrace atheism, uh, it wasn't because we truly understood and believed in the scientific method. It's just that we gave up certain gods. And then what we did as a species is we embraced science and technology as the new gods. We, we have a dogmatic uh, allegiance to science and technology. I have uh, tried to distill uh, what I consider the Apostles' Creed for the techno-utopian. So for the techno-utopian, more technology is better than less technology. Uh, more advanced technology is better than primitive, old-fashioned technology. More complex technology is better than simpler technology. More uh, expensive technology is better than cheaper technology. So there is some kind of understanding that technology in itself is intrinsically good and technology is just one thing. Uh, they don't understand that if you decide to embrace technology, there are very, very different configurations of technology. Some of those configurations will suit your purpose better and some will really undermine what you're going to do. So when uh, within the intelligence apparatus of a state, uh, somebody very senior is endorsing or pushing for mass surveillance. It is because of techno-determinism and techno-utopianism. Mm -hmm. And uh, that uh, shouldn't mean that we give up. The, uh, that only means that we have to uh, make our case much more effectively because what you're uh, fighting against is ideology. So, uh, just earlier in this conversation, we were talking of uh, progressive and conservative ideology. But uh, techno-utopianism uh, uh, crosses all such camps. You will uh, meet progressives that believe in the techno-utopian way, and you will meet uh, conservatives that do exactly the same. And that is... Uh, the uh, current crisis we are in, that 
people don't want to think of technology in a granular and critical fashion. It's just technology as one big blob. And if we had one X-ray machine at an airport, maybe it will prevent terrorists from getting in. But if you put a thousand X-ray machines at an airport, usually it will make matters worse. So this is the approach of mass surveillance. It's assuming that if we somehow throw all we have at the problem, that somehow our results are going to be better. So uh, it's not uh, a debate I'm willing to give up on. These little circuits are making our world go. The electric age is having a profound effect on us. We are in a period of fantastic change that's coming about at fantastic speed. Your life is changing dramatically, and you are numb to it. One of my main questions as I listen to Sunil describe the situation in our world today when it comes to technology, information, people, my question was, where do these communities fit into this equation? I'm talking about the free knowledge, free software, the Wikimedia community. What role do these groups, do us, do we play in all this? I have, uh, through my professional career, been a steward of various types of openness or various types of free culture. I started, of course, with the oldest form of free culture, the free software movement. About 19 years ago, I started a, a free software social enterprise in Bangalore. And about five years ago, at the current institution that I work at, the Center for Internet and Society, uh, we got our first grant from the Wikimedia Foundation, which was meant to grow Indic Wikipedias and also Indic uh, wiki editors, both organically and inorganically. And this is what uh, we have been doing. So the question uh, for me is how I can be a good steward of uh, this movement, uh, what it is uh, that the movement needs outside uh, the very specific content and technical skills that are necessary uh, to create a great global encyclopedia. But uh, more recently, uh, the work takes increased political significance because as I said earlier, the state is back and the state is using the internet as a tool of propaganda and since Wikipedia is one of the top 10 websites in most countries, it is obvious that governments are now using Wikipedia as a tool of uh, propaganda. So uh, the job before us is to protect at least facts on Wikipedia from being subverted by uh, undisclosed 
paid editing campaigns and uh, this i consider a very important component of keeping our societies open liberal and democratic and uh, the wiki community is perhaps the most uh, sophisticated community on the planet when it comes to understanding uh, rigorous uh, research methodologies understanding uh, different ways of weighing the evidentiary value of uh, facts and then uh, presenting them in a neutral manner to a wide uh, audience uh, so many other parts of civil society have completely lost touch with these key values uh, good uh, chunks or sections of civil society can no longer uh, be self-reflexive enough to understand their own ideological biases. Uh, in many parts of the world, uh, we have no idea why the population is voting the way they do. Uh, so, uh, it is uh, a privilege for me to come and learn from the best. Many, many of the people uh, in the room today are uh, so incredibly skilled uh, when it comes to dealing uh, with facts, uh, producing truths and communicating them to wide uh, audience. As we're talking about a movement that's very much based on volunteers, the question came up, what is happening when it comes to the volunteers of this movement with that always somewhat present concern for the health of the community and continuing to have volunteers versus that uh, risk of a decline or stagnation when it comes to getting more people inspired and active. Or perhaps over time, has this issue been solved in the eyes of Sunil over the years and at this point perhaps even a non-issue? I, since I come from the free software world, I used to think that uh, I understand commons-based peer production within the context of free software. So when it comes to Wikipedia, it must be exactly the same. Mm -hmm. Everything that worked in the free software movement must obviously work in the Wikipedia movement. And I realized that I was completely wrong. And every... A component of free culture, whether it is open educational resources, whether it is open access, whether it's open data, they're all very different uh, movements. And the volunteer energy is configured very differently uh, across these movements. Within the Wikipedia movement also, uh, volunteer energy is configured very differently across uh, language Wikipedias. Uh, in uh, some languages, the whole approach is an adversarial approach. So the language is under threat. Uh, the community wants to protect their language. Uh, so it's a bit like uh, Microsoft being the big villain and uh, the Linux volunteers uh, uh, resisting uh, this new form of imperialism. So uh, some communities are driven 
by that logic and uh, and it is the external enemy that uh, brings them together and consolidates them uh, there are others uh, that uh, follow a very different motive uh, which is in the free software world called scratching your itch so there is a personal passion and there is a way of sublimating a personal passion in a manner that is useful for uh, a wide wider society and uh, it is also not true that these communities remain static so over a period of time uh, the, the communities also uh, either ossify or become more vibrant so uh, understanding uh, volunteer energy and uh, uh, trying to grow the number of people that edit wikipedia is not uh something that we can understand and it is also not something that we can reduce to a secret sauce uh it seems to have much more to do with uh authenticity uh, uh having a very clear ethical Uh, understanding of the issues at hand and uh, uh also uh, investing a lot of time into uh, uh growing the, the movement so it, 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 it i think uh, across uh, civil society broadly and also within uh, f- uh, free cultures there is this tendency to think that if we get it right once it must be a best practice mm-hmm. and now we should be able to scale it to other parts of the world or uh make it work in other contexts mm-hmm. uh, that's uh, not not true at all uh, the human species individually and collectively uh, resists resists this type of understanding and if they know as a collective that you are uh, playing them with an old technique mm-hmm. then uh, they will ensure that your technique d- does not work so uh, it, it it is almost a, a permanent challenge just like democracy is a project that we as a species will work on for many many centuries or maybe millennia similarly uh, this business of people working outside a commercial motive is also a similarly complex uh, phenomena and it is something that will require uh, constant uh, effort investment yeah. uh, and it's not something that we can say that we will fix now or or that i can be yeah, yeah. yeah or or that i will be uh, silly enough to say that i understand uh, any better than i did 5 uh, years ago when we got started i i mean the best way to to think of it is uh as nicholas nasim talib uh, says uh how do you live or the question he poses is how do you live in a world that you don't understand um see for example in the stock market there is no scientific model that will explain what is going on in a stock market so still how do you invest in a stock market right so uh he brings it down to certain core uh ideas such as anti fragility and resilience uh 
So, uh, there's no way we can predict when the next 2008 will happen, when the next banking crisis will happen. But what you can be sure of is that if you have a great deal of decentralization, if you don't let the banks get so big, then even if it happens, whenever it happens, uh, the results will not be so traumatic. So similarly, uh, in the world of Wikipedia, there are certain principles that hold no matter what, that uh, you have to be uh, honest, that you have to be uh, respectful, that you have to care for one another. Uh, these, uh, even if there is no evidence to prove that this is necessary or useful, these are just uh, principles that we need to adhere to because they will pay off uh, uh, regardless. And that's the only way for us to work in a world that we don't understand. The, the alternative ambition is an enlightenment uh, obsession that somehow if I keep experimenting with volunteers, then one day I will discover the secret sauce. Uh, it's much better to be uh, conservative and say that that phenomena cannot be scientifically understood, but rather there are certain key uh, uh, principles that will help us uh, get where we want to go. I can, yeah. give, you, I can give you another example of that. Yeah. <laughs> so, in my country, uh, at the moment, after seven or eight years of... Uh, uh, dilly-dallying, the government has finally made a biometric ID card uh, mandatory uh, for all Indians and they have a centralized store where they are going to keep everybody's biometric data. So either you can ask uh, what is the science behind keeping that centralized store safe and you can do a lot of research uh, and you can say with 99.99% uh, uh, certainty, I can guarantee that the centralized store uh, will be safe. But that uh, highly improbable uh, event, the so-called black swan, has to occur only once. And once it occurs, then the whole nation state is compromised because... Uh, every single Indian's biometric data will be uh, available on the internet or on, on a torrent web uh, file. So on the internet, why don't we worry about this? Uh, we don't worry about this on the internet because there is no centralized store mm -hmm. of everybody's passwords. Mm -hmm. So the probability of the centralized store on the internet being compromised is zero mm -hmm. because it doesn't exist. There's no black swan event. You, so you eliminated the black swan by deciding that the principle of decentralization is sacred uh, to what you're doing. So the internet uh, comes with its own ideology, uh, decentralization, subsidiarity, intelligence on the edge, etc., etc. This is the ideology of the internet. It is changing thanks to massive corporations that want to centralize the internet. But that's the internet ideology. And that ideology comes from the free software world. Uh, that ideology has informed projects uh, and communities such as Wikipedia. 
uh, and that is what we want to protect. So uh, if uh, uh, free software uh, practitioners and activists were to design the system, then uh. what they would have done is built the whole stack on open standards and free software. So unlike the current situation, it would be security through transparency. At the moment, it's security through obscurity. Nobody really knows how the thing works. It would be a decentralized uh, protocol for authentication and identification. On the internet, when I authenticate you or I identify you using cryptography, then it's a bilateral uh, transaction. There is no central store of all the transactions. Uh, so by choosing a centralized topology, by choosing proprietary technology, uh, they have enabled surveillance. The moment you shift uh, to an open standard, the moment you shift to a free software stack, uh, then it becomes a decentralized topology. Then there is no surveillance. There is privacy by design. So. Uh, whether it is uh, free knowledge or whether it is free software, this is the only line of defense available to us today. We can no longer trust governments to protect us and we can no longer trust corporations to protect us. As we close out the program, a wonderful, if not harsh, final thought within this discussion of free knowledge versus proprietary thinking, of secret formulas versus transparency, of decentralization versus centralization. Somewhere in here, there lies a harsh truth. And here's the proverbial mirror where Sunil helps us look at ourselves as a community. So we should stop fooling ourselves and we should just uh, be very clear that we can't trust any nation state uh, permanently. Occasionally there may be this accident uh, and we can't trust any corporation also permanently to protect our rights. Uh, the only way we can protect our rights is by uh, embracing free software. Uh, as I said earlier, the power of cryptography, the power of mathematics. After we solve the problem at the software level, then the next question is what content will we consume? And there, uh, Wikipedia has made it very clear that it is the right option because once the governments realize that they can't uh, get us through the software or through the platforms, then what they will start manipulating is the truth on the internet. And uh, Wikipedia, as I said earlier, is the finest line of defense against uh, the latest round of disinformation, propaganda, uh, fake news, uh, alternative facts, whatever you want to call it. Uh, so the importance of Wikipedia is unprecedented at this point in time. Uh, at at an earlier point in time, we thought of it as a replacement for a proprietary encyclopedia. Mm -hmm. uh, today, uh, at least I think of it as protecting uh, democracies and open societies across the world by ensuring 
that we have at least one place on the internet that we can trust. Sunil, that's I'm I'm going to end on that note. <laughs> Thank you very much. It's Thanks a pleasure <laughs> and all the best with your work and and let's meet again. <laughs> Thank you so much. <laughs> Sunil Abraham is the executive director at the Center for Internet and Society in Bangalore. He spoke to us through good and bad audio moments in Berlin. And that does it for this edition of the podcast. Source Code Berlin is a Wikimedia Deutschland production. Listen to all of our shows at sourcecode.berlin or follow us on Facebook under the name Source Code Berlin. You've got Twitter at SRC Code Berlin. You can follow us there. We had music today by Julia Kent, The Blue Dot Sessions, Kai Engel, and Ketza, all published under CC licenses and available on the Free Music Archive, my favorite place. This podcast is published under a CCBYSA 4.0 license and edited by me. Coming up this month on the podcast, it's the Global Innovation Gathering in Berlin with voices from around the world working on so many really cool projects. I'm excited to bring that to you. Subscribe to Source Code Berlin and you won't miss a thing. Until next time, I'm Mark Fonseca Rendeiro. Thanks for listening. We take our American comforts and conveniences pretty much for granted. In our homes, we are surrounded by 20th century miracles. Miracles which are not exclusively American, but which are here so commonplace that they are seldom regarded as miracles anymore. We are. We are.